Money FM 89.3, the best of the breakfast huddle. It is time now to turn our attention to headlines out of the United States. We've got Pakistan's foreign minister summoning U.S. ambassador to Pakistan, Donald Bloom, in relation to U.S. President Joe Biden's latest comment to China's apparent conciliatory message to the United States. Let's get some analysis on these headlines. Stephen Oliver, assistant professor of social sciences, political science at Yale and U.S. College, is on the line with me. Good morning, Prof. Morning, Elliot. We've got quite a few things to talk about. I suppose let's start off with Pakistan's foreign minister saying that he summoned U.S. ambassador to Pakistan, Donald Bloom, for an unofficial departure after President Biden questioned the safety of Pakistan's nuclear program. What is the backstory behind this? Well, the backstory appears to be this, right? In what appears to have been off-the-cuff remarks during a speech at a private Democratic Party fundraiser last Thursday, Biden said that Pakistan may be, quote, one of the world's most, or one of the most dangerous nations in the world. The reason he gave for this characterization was Pakistan's status as a nuclear-armed power, but one with serious problems related to social cohesion at home. So after the event, the White House published the transcript of the speech on its official website, which contained the remarks. This drew the attention of media and government in Pakistan, where the remarks were, well, poorly received. Where did Biden's comment even come from? I mean, was it necessary? Um, I, so, so again, it, it appears that Biden made this comment uh, sort of off the cuff. Ah, okay. um, so it's, it's not clear exactly why he made the comment. Um, he, he made it ultimately in the context of a much wider range of speech. So mm. it wasn't one about U.S.-Pakistan relations specifically, but rather about uh, the range of contemporary international politics challenges facing the United States. Um, and, and it's important to note here that right, the comment itself was actually a very, very small part of the speech. It was really only two sentences in the full transcript. So it shouldn't be seen as signaling some sort of change in U.S. foreign policy or its relations with Pakistan. Mm. Prof, President Biden also said that he was not the only one who thought that Prime Minister, British Prime Minister, that is, uh, Liz Truss' original economic plan was a mistake. That economic plan seems to have led to a bit of a steep dive in the value of the pound. Prof, is this another off-the-cuff comment? Um, I, you know, I think this might be also another off-the-cuff comment. I mean, Biden himself gave the comment. It was a very, very brief statement in um, to, to media during what was really a, a campaign visit for uh, the upcoming midterm elections in the state of Oregon. It was in an ice cream parlor where he was asked uh, sort of what his view on all of this was. Mm. But, I mean, to be fair, when you look at the current state of the UK, the economic issues that they're facing or trying to fix, and, you know, you also look at the pound versus the dollar, it is in a sense, a worrying situation, worrying enough for other world leaders to chime in. What are your thoughts on this? Well, I mean, so, so Biden, in, in his comments, ultimately said that he wasn't particularly worried from okay. the standpoint that he wasn't worried about the strength of the U.S. dollar, how this was going to affect the U.S. dollar. But he was, of course, more generally worried uh, about sort of the policies and the policy choices here in terms of sustaining growth in the U.K. And certainly... The U.K. is an important ally of the United States, and so he does take an interest in um, these, these sorts of policy decisions. Mm. Professor, with regard to China, they've offered an apparent conciliatory message to the U.S. saying that they did not believe that the two major powers would necessarily be locked in confrontation. Any reaction from the U.S. so far? 
Um, so there's no clear reaction from the U.S. so far. I mean, the, the comments were made, um, you know, sort of in the run-up or just before the start of the 20th CCP Congress that yeah. began this weekend. And so um, I, I would assume that for U.S. foreign policymakers, you know, as, as uh, at least for those who are sort of focused on ways in which to improve relations with China, um, I would assume that they're waiting to see sort of everything that ends up being said at the CCP Party Congress. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, there's there's still a, a few more days to go, and there are still some important speeches uh, yet to be made that will clarify what China's position, right, uh, or rather the position of the Chinese Communist Party and its leadership is with respect to, say, U.S.-China relations or on various issues in the next five years uh, until the next Congress, as well as beyond. Mm. I mean, I'm sure they're already on high alert when you consider the opening speech by uh, China's President Xi Jinping talking about Taiwan's independence being a matter for the Chinese people, stressing also to be technologically self-sufficient Two issues, of course, uh, they've been at loggerheads with. But as you mentioned, it's probably going to have to be wait and see before we get any reaction. Yeah, indeed. I believe that. That's a good way to put it. All right. That's a safe way to put it, too. (laughs) (laughs) Professor, sweeping new controls that the Biden administration has imposed on October 7 on exports of technology to China, which is exactly what I was just talking about. These controls, these sanctions. I'm curious, what are your thoughts on how different they are from the version that was put out by the former President Donald Trump? Um, I mean, I, I think that maybe the most noticeable difference uh, between sort of the Biden version and the preceding Trump version is really in sort of how expansive, right, ultimately these controls are under Biden. It is. So to say that they're more expansive than under Trump. And so, you know, in many cases, uh, the same tools are being applied as under, of course, uh, Trump's controls. Again, it's just much more expansive. So uh, an example here would be the foreign direct product rule. Okay. So the foreign direct product rule, uh, so when applied, right, makes foreign-made high-end semiconductors related to AI and supercomputing, but that use U.S. tools and software in their design and manufacturing, well, these will require a license to be exported to China. So that's to mm-hmm. say that chip manufacturers in Taiwan and Korea if they use U.S.-made tools or software in their design and manufacturing, will have to or are expected to go and comply before they export to China. So Trump used this against Huawei, but the number of technology companies and the types of chips that are now being covered is being massively expanded. Mm. So it's quite interesting, right? And China themselves have been having a bit of a crackdown on the technology sector. Based on that, based on the actions of both sides, is this really a new U.S.-China trade war or sort of a repositioning? I'm trying to find the right words to describe it, but it does quite feel as hostile as as the previous round. Well, um, you know, so it's not a trade war until or unless uh, China retaliates, okay, right? Okay. Uh, you, you have to have two sides to a trade war. Fair point. Um, and, and so thus far, the Chinese foreign ministry has certainly condemned the move as unfair and abuse of trade measures, yet authorities have made no clear move to retaliate. Um, in, in some sense, right, the full impact of these changes is, I think, being soaked up uh, by the markets as, as well as by policymakers. And so uh, we're also probably unlikely to see response until after the close of the 20th Congress, right? Uh, policymakers in Beijing 
are very much so focused on on what's going on in Beijing uh, before they can go and they can make yeah. any moves or announcements. Can't wait to catch up. But when all of this is done, I'm sure we'll have a lot more things to share. I do appreciate your time this morning. Been speaking with Stephen Oliver, Assistant Professor of Social Sciences, Political Science at Yale NUS College. Thank you again for your time, Prof. Take care and have a great week ahead. You too. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.